He is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I was gone too long. Say amen for that one too. I want to be able to follow my amen question with a confident assertion when we're out marching for the pro-life cause, which I thought about quite a bit um, while I was up in Alaska. It is a pagan land, Alaska. There are definitely some Christians there. Um, and again, I got too many stories to tell and I want to tell Abraham's today. So I'm going to try not to talk about Alaska, but it's bound to boil out. Um, the mission possibilities of the church of Jesus Christ today are phenomenal. And the main thing keeping us from it is believing it costs too much. And the main reason we think that is we trust the dollar too much and I didn't learn that in Alaska. I learned that in the Solomon Proverbs that I've been reading and pondering for years now since I realized something was amiss in my heart. Something was out of touch in my faith. What I believed and what I saw in my life did not harmonize the way that the Bible, as I read it more and more, seemed to say, said that it would. And I found out a couple of things. One would be that if you don't translate Lutheran doctrine out of Lutheran doctrine English into normal English, you miss the grace. And the Bible is more important than being Lutheran because it's why we're Lutheran. And so it starts there. And we're here, St. Paul, today celebrating 135 years because you believed that in not quite so many words when you had to choose between wood and stone, a totem of sorts, a big pillar made to God in your own name, St. Paul's name, the school's name, a lot of things name, and yet for Jesus we swear, and it was true until it wasn't, and it wasn't in various times. Not all people had the same experience at the old building. But God decided to test you, saying, take this glorious facility, which I came here to Rockford hoping to save, which you love, and offer it to me. And you did. And here we are. And while many things have happened since 2019, heavens, heavens indeed, we're stronger than we were then by every measure that I, as a professional of now 16 years, can see in the congregation. And I just count myself blessed to get to be here to keep teaching you what the Bible says, because I know that's the reason it's all happening. Hebrews 11 starts on page 1007 of your pew Bible. We're not going to read all of Hebrews 11. It's the great chapter on faith is how it's usually talked about. But as I already said, I promised I'd say it again. It's the chapter on trust. Faith is a fine word. It's a good English word if you paid attention in grammar and read literature class. If you just watch TV or surf the phone and you're under 40, faith doesn't have a meaning that has anything to do with what we say as Lutherans. But what we can say that will have that meaning is the word trust. So let's just go hardcore Lutheran here. Uh, if I just say the doctrine on which the church stands or falls, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Hands. Now, isn't that interesting, Lutheran church, right? Now, uh, this is something Lutherans like to say, and they're right. 
until they're jerks, and then they do evil things with a good thing. But the doctrine on which the church stands or falls is, ready for the Greek, uh, the Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession, and it's not Greek at all, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, which says that we are justified by grace through faith. And this is ultimately what the Reformation was about for we reformers. For the Pope, it was about the, the cost of that trust that you had to pay for with some coinage. It was about mammon, like it always really is, and that's where all the Antichrist stuff comes in, and we can leave that story for another time. What I want today is for you to hear me say that salvation in Jesus Christ is by grace through trust. And that means he gives you the trust. And the experience you have of being saved is in trusting him. He is the author. It is not by your own reason or strength. And yet once it begins to happen, you are hardly not involved. <laughs> You're very much involved in the hand of God, pressing down on all of your animosities, anxieties, fears, and tremblings, and saying, it's me, God, I'm the reason it hurts. I'm the reason the world's going crazy. I'm the reason everything is the way that it is. And the world has to keep saying either sacrifice, 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 or he's not really there. But salvation by grace through trust means you get to say, amen. And amazingly, that whirlwind might just open with a little rainbow shooting through if you're looking. And you might find out that Principal doctrine of the church, doctrine of election is in the formula of Concord. I'll spare you the rest of the references. Principal doctrine of the church is that nothing can go wrong ever in Jesus' name. Everything that goes wrong in your life is going right in Jesus' name. And Abraham is going to show us this in the text from the author of the Hebrews, which is what we're really going to talk about today, beginning with its introduction, where it shows that God knows far more than anything we can imagine, even before man comes into the picture. He defines trust here for us. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Trust, first, is the assurance of things hoped for. That means you know there are things that will be that are not yet. And them not being yet doesn't stop you from knowing that they will be. That's hope when it's a good thing, yeah? And trust in Jesus Christ is hope in what you know will be on the last day when you rise from the dead and every scar is a crown of glory and gemstones in your life, purged by the blood of Jesus. But, but what have I been saying right up to the moment we left? Have I been pushing on this hard enough? Tomorrow's the last day. Have I said that enough to you specifically? That Jesus can come back anytime. Tomorrow's the last day. And so to live a life of trust and hope is to hope Jesus comes back tomorrow. I used to say it like this afternoon, but I always found that got in the way of like my heart a lot. And if I just push it off till tomorrow morning, the last day, world ends today, you know, then I can get it all done and kind of go to rest tonight and like leave some undone, trusting in Jesus' name tomorrow to bring good things. And here's the beautiful thing, that every new morning in your life is the first day of the rest of your life that will never end, even when you die and even on the last day. So you have hope now 
in what is coming that is hope now, which is hope. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. And in my personal experience now, the only thing stopping my hope were all the stories I was listening to told by liars, perverts, and despairers. I called many of them movies. I played them in video games, but generally they were spiritual dialogues about things that gave me despair. And the story of Jesus Christ is the antidote to that despair. And the more that is a reality that you believe, the more you will feel what that means, which will be one more round of his hand is heavy upon you. <laughs> and you acknowledge it's him. And you find grace and trust and hope the conviction of things not seen, which then leads the author in the next verse, author could be Paul, could be Barnabas, another time, um, leaves the author in the next verse uh, to talking about things unseen, like before creation happened or how creation happened. And even specifically that creation, when it happened, came from one kind of thing to another kind of thing that is from an unseen to a seen or an invisible to a visible which is to say what all scientists know, but no scientist will admit, is that there's a spiritual, or they call it a quantum realm. <laughs> there's a place of the unseen in this universe. Uh, we know there are demons and, and angels that inhabit this place. They talk about quarks and neurons and all sorts of other things. And who knows what electricity is doing down there? I'm not claiming that. But everybody knows there's an unseen world, is the point. And the conviction that you know what is in the unseen world because of the revelation of Jesus Christ is faith in Jesus Christ, right? trust in his word. Did you hear him with the Pharisees? What did he finally say to them? Why won't you hear my word? That's why you try to kill me. That's why you don't like what I say. Jesus said to them, trust is knowing the hope of what Jesus promises to bring to you today through trust in what you know he will bring later, turning even the thorns of this life into streets of gold of a kind in this life. Jesus could have chosen any life he chose before the creation of the world, before there was a man who fell, before there was a thing called sin, before there was a devil to pervert anything, and he chose to die on a cross as the best life a human man could ever live. That's your master. That's your God. And if he did something that weird, then he must have thought it through quite a bit before he did it. And this is the great mystery that faith begins to open for the child who marvels all the way to the old man who, if he studies, will not cease to marvel at what he finds. Abraham, whose story gets going a little bit further in the text, um, uh, excuse me, I'm skipping over verse 3. I don't want to spend too much time on this, this is why I want to get to Abraham. But at verse 3, I will read more about what is trust, okay? Uh, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. I just talked about the power of the word of God, the unseen world. But he's now saying, before there was anything that wasn't God, right? There's Father, there's Son, there's Spirit in eternity. And if you say, what does that mean? I say, I don't know. He's God. Yeah, there's nothing else though. And then the word of God, who we know is Jesus, right? He creates everything that is seen out of what is not seen. Right? 
And so the establishment of creation as a doctrine of faith and trust can be talked about. We've been talking about rainbows and the ark, Noah's flood before I left. And there's the, the museum that they got where you can see the ark. And the testimony of that is to the, the efficiency or the truthfulness of the old Genesis stories, right? And the author here is just assuming that. The author says this and someone says, yes, but uh, millions of years and, and evolution. And, and this author is just like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what spirit you're talking with. That's not what the Bible says. That's not how God speaks. And you have a pretty abysmal idea of supreme power if supreme power is accidents and chaos, which is what evolution must teach eventually. I'm going off there. I didn't want to on this verse too much. But the author ties trust first to knowing where we came from where we came from. And then through these individuals, Abraham, we start to learn where we came from and where, by their picture, we are going. So the bit about Abraham again starts at verse 8, near the bottom of the page. And this section, as it reads, gives us a lot of Abraham's life, but not all of Abraham's life. And in, in a chapter which is going to say, by faith, you know, Bob, by faith, Joe, by faith, Jim, by faith, Abel, right? All these actually biblical names. They all did this thing. It's going to say, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Abraham. I don't think that's on accident. Either the first or last Abraham and Sarah in the middle of the story. Because through all of this, we absolutely have to see that while the distinction between man and woman is such a natural law that if you break it, you tear your own country down, but that also women are co-heirs with men of eternal life, partners in the gospel that is the equality of value we have been purchased with in the body of the one man, Jesus Christ. And so whatever was of old that was created is new in ways we can't even imagine. And yet we can because he reveals it. And if we pay attention to the text, we'll find out that Sarah is our mother. And if we listen to her testimony, which is without words, as 1 Peter says, she doesn't leave any words, not very few, I should say. But nonetheless, her actions over time, like Abraham's, testify to a growth in trust that whatever comes God will turn for the benefit of all. We're going to get to her. I'm excited about her. But Abraham first, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Obey means to hear and do as one. But that is a tough one when I say something like hope in Jesus. How do you obey that, right? Hear and do. Well, it either is given to you that you heard it as hope itself, yeah? or it's given to you as a law, that if you don't do it, God won't love you. And justification by grace through trust is the firm foundation that you can't make God not love you, no matter what you do. And so it's just a fact that when the Bible says hope in God, it's not something you can do, but it told you to do it, and you did. And that's the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in the Christian life. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He heard a word from God, audibly it would appear, go to a strange land, which in a violent and ruthless age meant put everything you have at risk, maybe get killed, and I'll give you a paradise to live in. He obeyed. He did it. He went to that place right away, paused a while when his dad died, 
along the path, but gets there eventually. He's got his nephew with him. There's, there's a bunch of story that comes after this before what our author begins to talk about next. Uh, but uh, I, I only want to go over a little bit of it. And that's this, that Abraham, the father of our faith, for the first, I don't know, 40 years of his time in the promised land, does everything he can to, on the one hand, stop the promise from coming true, <laughs> and then force it to come true after he'd kind of tried to stop it from coming true. And then eventually he gives up and God shows up again. He's like, you ready yet for me to do it? <laughs> and then he does it. And that's where Abraham learns trust. And then our story with the mountain and Isaac and the son, that's all after that. So when God tests Abraham, it's after Abraham has been tried through a lot of failure. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of head bumping. I mean, he marries his wife to two other guys. I mean, it's how lunatic do you get? That's how afraid of his life he was. That's how ruthless a time he lived in. That's why swords exist. So, that all being said, the author wants us to pick up first, what did he do? He heard and went, even when he didn't know what the result was going to be in his own mind. He knew what the result was going to be as a promise, but he couldn't envision it. He didn't have a plan. There's no land for him to actually go to. He's got to take herds and move around on other people's claimed soil, which if you know anything before modern printed maps, a border is what you can keep. <laughs> yeah. And so he's, he's going into that kind of a realm as a very, very lonely man with a young group. And he does it, not knowing. Verse 9, by faith, that is trusting that the promise was, I'm going to give you this land in my name. Whatever else comes, Abraham, you have my name. I'm going to give you this land. He went to live in the land of promise. This is, of course, a picture of paradise to come and the restoration of the fall and us rising again with Jesus at the end of the world. And yet here it is as a shadow. Uh, the promised land of old was a beautiful paradise. Mountains, rivers, seashores, fishing, a great sea on the inland. Uh, every animal you can imagine from the three continents that come together. It was a wild and beautiful, glorious place, a land of milk and honey. We're not, we're not making that up when we repeat that from the Bible. He went there, though, and this was a place of barbarians. And, and well, if I say Scythian, does it mean anything? If I say Hittite, does it mean anything? History teaches us about the Hittites outside the Bible. Nasty people, nasty people, all of them, really. They thought being nasty was good, and they did it together to other people, and it's, it, they were wicked. Uh, he goes into this land and lives in tents. I mean, how would you handle that one today in your, your golden years? Right? A tent. I guess in many ways you often have to, don't you? At some point they come and they say, you can't take care of yourself anymore. We're going to put you in a room, maybe a double room with a partner who talks in their sleep all night long, and doesn't turn off their TV, right? Like, that's a scary thing, right? I've been in enough of those rooms to know they're out there. Yeah. Um, living in tents. Are you ready for the thorns of this life to not stop no matter how much you amass in your barn? The issue is not what you have, what you don't have. The issue is, uh, well, do you trust Jesus no matter what comes? Because if you do and you find yourself in such a bad place as the one I just described, well, then you'll know what to do, which is to open your mouth in Jesus' name and start reciting the Psalms, which you've been doing for years, which are going to transform that place around you from the prison you think you've been put in 
into the jail that you take care of on behalf of, I don't know, Pharaoh or something like that. Hat tip, I forgot one rainbow. So we're going back. I just told you where it was. You're listening. He goes to the land of promise with Isaac and Jacob. We don't hear these names right. Isaac is the Hebrew word laughter. So when he comes later and says, kill your son, laughter, whom you love. I mean, you just got to feel that pain. And then Jacob's name is, is actually trickster or a deceiver, brother of red guy, you know, strong guy. Um, and uh, so he goes in these tents with a guy named Laughter, whose story we should call to mind immediately, and a guy named Deceiver, who has a whole other journey of faith from, I promise I'm with you. Are you sure? Let me try to, I give up. Okay, you're in charge. And it all goes really well from there. The guy retires in Goshen. I mean, anyway, that's a, another hat tip for another time. What are we to take from this? They are heirs with him of the same promise, and that's what you are in Jesus now. A promise that any soil your actual foot touches, and shoes are fine, (laughs) but any soil you step on is the kingdom of God because you're a royal priest. And where you tread, the demons will tremble, Or if you're small and they are great, they will shout. Heirs of the same promise means you need not fear even the shouting. Because you're looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Hope again. Hope. And, And like I said before, hope always must be tied to the last day. He is risen. Christ has died. Hope must always be tied to the last day. But if I may invert St. Paul, lest he be abused. If we have hope only for the last day, we are to be quite pitied. Perhaps not most among all people. Most among all people, Paul says, is those who have hope only for this life. That would indeed be terribly sad. Um, But to have hope only for the next life is to give up on a whole lot of what God has promised, which is that wisdom is true and that good life is good and that he rewards the just and he punishes the wicked. Sometimes he waits and lets the wicked get really big and then he punches them hard. And sometimes the church gets a little mingled in with the wicked and sometimes we forget and have to be punched as well and it wakes us up usually. This is the way that it is in a city with foundations that cannot be shaken because it's not built of stone or wood. It's built of your flesh and blood, your breathing spirit joined, communed with his flesh and blood, breathing human God spirit that he gives you again and again and again, that is anointed on you in your holy walking. That's baptism, right? And then we're going to feast on, of course, in a few moments. Looking forward to a city built out of the body of Jesus Christ. That's his promise. I go away to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many, many rooms. The first universe was made out of nothing. The first man was made out of dust. The next universe will be made out of Jesus. That's the promise. And you are here already. I'm going to feel like it quite in the fingers. But that hope and that trust, that's it. 
That's the Holy Spirit moving among us. And of course, any scripture that we share, he grabs and throws forward somewhere else. Because that's how he works. Yeah? Faith alone, scripture alone, the Reformation says. Now we move to Sarah. Verse 11. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. So bold. By faith, Sarah received herself received power to conceive. I mean, I'm, really? Like, that's not quite how Genesis reads, okay? The story, do you remember this? Like, God the Trinity, or Jesus with two angels, you choose, you know, is chatting with Abraham over a meal outside the tent on a hot day in the afternoon, telling Abraham that he is going to have a son, and Sarah laughs at him. From behind closed doors, wouldn't do it to his face, of course, that wouldn't be proper. But see, God doesn't care what you do behind closed doors or in front of people. It's, it's either improper or proper. And he says, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh, I swear. Okay, Sarah. And then she names the boy Laughter again, which is it's also beautiful, really. It's poetry. Uh, um, by faith, Sarah conceived, though. So the way that the author hears this, and you have to then hear Abraham's story as reflecting in Sarah, is that, yeah, when she heard the promise, she scoffed. And by the time she was 90, she believed. And she was waiting patiently, like Ruth, like Esther, like Mary, Magdalene, Mary, sister of Martha, all the women of old who adorned themselves with quietness and gentleness as a glorious thing for anyone to receive on a rough day, right? right? A smile from a friend, these kinds of things. So by faith, Sarah, though, does so much more than step out of her box to smile at somebody and risk the frown. You know, they might get it wherever they are. Uh, but she has a miraculous birth, a miraculous conception. It is not immaculate, right? That's Jesus. Although some of our more Catholic friends who would tell us that uh, immaculate conception applies to Mary, too, will just scoff at that and instead say that the immaculate conception, the birth without a father and without sin, is Jesus in Mary. But this is a miraculous conception going on here. It's impossible. She's past her time. And while in our society that's not polite talk, most other cultures recognize that there's significant changes that happen in a woman's body that don't happen in a man's body, right? And once this happens, babies don't show up anymore. And by trust in the promise, she received an impossible thing. Why is this here? Is it for you to pray for impossible things? And am I in here to tell you that if you pray for impossible things in the name of Jesus Christ, you will get them? Yes, but no. And it kind of means, why? Who are you asking for? And how much is it in line with what God surely always does? I don't have a problem with you praying for a miracle. I mean, you got cancer. The doctors say it won't go away. I say, I'll pray for you. That's fine. You should pray for yourself sometimes. Pray in Jesus' name every day, a certain psalm over and over again about that cancerous tumor. And I mean, I've heard stories, they go away. Is that a prescription? No, not really. Not any more than any cancer treatment, frankly, if you think about it. Yeah. Uh, but, but what is a prescription is that if you pray psalms every day in Jesus' name, wanting something, by the time you're done, you'll want what the psalm says rather than what you thought you were asking for, and you'll get that thing. 
That's how those prayers work. You open them with the wrong understanding. That's the point. I can't read the Psalms. I don't understand them. Yes. <laughs> so you read them and they grant you understanding. Sarah, in being granted understanding, knew to trust a promise already given. She wasn't praying for it. It was a radical promise stated to her by three godly men who thereafter burned Sodom and Gomorrah before their eyes and gave a baby boy to a marriage, to anoint marriage as the holy thing. And can you see that connection there in our day as well? By faith, she conceived. Uh, that was verse 11 at the front. Even though she's past age, she was considered, faith, considered him faithful who had promised. So what we really want is not to take Sarah's particular promise and apply it to ourselves, but to take our promise and apply it to ourselves, which is your, if I stop, would you say the word? We're Lutherans. We got to get this one, even though no one else understands it when we do. You're saved and you know it because you've been baptized, right? Which means washed with water in the name of the risen man, Jesus Christ, which can't mean nothing. Huh? And if you look at what the text says, it kind of means everything starts and never ends right there. Uh, that's our promise that we will rise from the dead. That's our promise that the way will be open before us as we go in Jesus' name. That's our promise that the way will be smooth and straight and narrow. That's our promise that to the right and the left, there will be wicked shouting at us to get off by any means they can come up with. And it's a promise that they'll never distract us while we're singing alleluias in Jesus' name. You are baptized into Jesus Christ. It didn't just happen a long time ago. What does such washing with water indicate? The worst formulated question in the small catechism in English. Fourth question on baptism. It means, what's it mean now that I'm baptized? By daily renewal and contrition, I shall drown to death and rise again in the knowledge that Jesus has saved me. Paraphrased. Your baptism into Christ is the promise you see at work in Sarah bringing forth the seed who will become Jesus someday through others as well. Moving forward from that amazing thing, verse 12, therefore, notice Sarah is not separate from Abraham. They are one in God's sight. The order of creation. Um, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore uh, on this big day, risking a momentary story from my trip. It was on the way home. The red eye, supposed to leave at 8.45, left at 11-something from Anchorage, five and a half hours to O'Hare, um, 8.45 arrival. All of us get an hour and a half of sleep or so. And now these TVs in the, in the um, uh, airplanes, you can watch almost anything you want. You can play video games. Come and my kids beat uh, Magnus Carlsen at chess. It was amazing. But the, the whole time I'm watching this man to my front right, which you inevitably do if you're not watching something. Another screen comes on. You can't not see it. It's, it's that addictive, frankly. And it was a movie I've seen, I think, twice, actually. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, not a bad Tom Cruise flick. Tom Cruise does amazing acting. You know, it's all fake, but it looks really cool. But I had no sound, and I'm watching this movie of this Scientologist. You know, this uh, Tom Cruise is a Scientologist. He believes aliens seeded the planet forever ago, and only certain people have enough alien seed to be super people, and he's one of them. And this is his religion, and he promotes it all the time with the money he makes making movies. 
I don't trust the man a whit. He can jump off an airplane with a lot of nets somehow so that he can be caught on film, right? That's amazing. But the story is about the man who was watching this movie because he was a Jew, and I knew it because of what he was wearing. I couldn't quite figure out what kind of Jew he was. There are many because they have layers from we do everything it says except the sacrifices at the altar to we don't do anything it says or believe in God, but I'm still a Jew. Like There's a wide array, but this guy had on the hat. And he had on the tassels, they called the wings, hanging off his clothes, underneath his normal clothes, uh, baggy blue jeans and, and a sweatshirt, and, and this gorgeous white beard and a full head of white hair and spectacles. I wanted to be this man. He looks so cool. I'm, I'm telling you, for that old, he looks so cool. And, and yet I'm, I'm watching this man who's pure because he's a Jew and he wears the right clothing, so he's never an idolater. Watching Tom Cruise talk to him about, well, not God, and... The irony to me, I mean, I'm not, if you've heard me talk on my show, I have a very strong opinion about TV, but my opinion is not that you can't use it. It's that it makes you stupid when you do. Okay, that, that's my opinion, right? Um, but I'm not a Jew. I don't believe that a statue is an idol that I have to throw away. But see, a Pharisee does. And here he is watching it on a plane treating his wife with kindness and gentleness and respect. I just, I didn't know what to make of it, except for, again, that here is the promise of God to Abraham still at work. What other ancient peoples can still claim to have adherence to their culture after having been conquered and destroyed by everybody? That's the word of God upon people who don't believe it. What happens when we believe it? You follow? By faith. Amen, I should say? Amen. There we go. These all died in faith. Verse 13. Let's go to there. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. So um, Abraham did receive Isaac, but notice how Jesus comes along and says, he saw me, but you didn't have the land right? Didn't get to reign on a throne like Solomon. He got that. Solomon didn't get to not fall away like Jesus, <laughs> right? So everybody doesn't quite get it, even though there's, there's echoes. There's echoes all the way, and that's what we must believe again, that by faith, by trust, the fact is the echoes remain, and they're ours now. They're ours. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. You may die in this life without seeing Jesus come back. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were us then, strangers and exiles on earth. So if you have trouble hoping, my guess is you're hoping too much in what the earth says the earth is. And I suggest to you that you hope more in what God says the earth is, which will immediately focus you again on forever and today. And the forever is not bad. It's not like we got to get ready for forever or forever won't happen. It, that's, that's not the way it goes. It's forever is good. And I got today. What's on my hands that I can use? Right? Oh, look, a Bible. <laughs> Drink deep in the morning. See what the day brings. People, verse 14, who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If you are discontent with this life, good. If you think that when Solomon says, vanity of vanity is all vanity, and you go, he does, I can't stand it, good. You are beginning to wake up to how good it actually is here once you don't have to make it worth something to you. 
Uh, once it can just be what God is doing and he will take everything you lose and he will give it right back to you redeemed. Not for you, but as a gift to those around you, right? The last shall be first, the first shall be last. Trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall straighten your path. Yeah, open it up before you. The hair is distracting me. Here we go. They did not receive what was seen, greeting them from afar, strangers and exiles, seeking a homeland. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. This is a testing verse right here. This is a hard verse. How much do you want to be an American now that you know the American government is forwarding the mutilation of children and sodomy overseas in your name with your money and obviously promoting the murder of babies in Rockford with their money trickled down through a giant corrupt system of old boyism and who knows what else. How much you want to trust in the flag? How much you want to pledge allegiance? I still will, but I don't really want to for some certain reasons which are to recognize, oh, it's second now to the kingdom. Uh, why now? Why not always? What happened? Make America great again. Was it? When was it? How many Americas have there been whose faces are on Mount Rushmore? And why did they get there? And why are some calling for it to be torn down? Uh, do you see how I go that direction? What happens? Fear, despair. Did you catch that? Fear, despair. Yeah. Um, do you want to go back to the way it was in 2018, really? Where you just didn't even realize this stuff was happening? like underground in federal agencies and things. I mean, I, I have no desire to try to figure out how to save the United States of America. I have no desire to try to make it get worse. I, I really care about Rockford. And in that regard, I care about Illinois, but only insofar as it stays far away from Rockford, which thank God it mostly is. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, Springfield. <laughs> um, and I care now more and more about other places that I get to visit in Jesus' name. I've been all over this country to preach Jesus' name. And it's, I think, prepared me to be here with you for us to help many, many people who sojourn through. And they're looking for what we have here. I had someone say to me, in fact, recently, there aren't congregations like this church. He didn't say St. Paul Lutheran Church. He said there aren't congregations with young families and kids who care about the service and sing and love the sacrament in the Missouri Senate. I said, I think there's a few. <laughs> I know I got one, and there's always 7,000 who haven't bowed the knees, so I'll let the internet decide who's in and who's out and all this crap, you know, but, but we are placed here in order to be a refuge for many people, a passing place, a crossroads of sorts, and the gift of this is going to come through our trust that we're going to be here no matter who comes and who goes. Over half of you are new since I came here. I will not be surprised if seven years from now it happens again. That is the way life in this country is. That is the way the economy is. Huh? So we can no longer be people who measure our success on Sunday morning with whether or not families come or go. We must measure our success with whether or not those who are here say the same things, which are amens to the preaching of the text of Scripture. And this is what we must have as our antidote to the world around us, which has so many stories of fear to tell us. We desire 
a better country, verse 16, a heavenly one, the kingdom that shall never be shaken or pass away, which we know is already established underneath our feet. So we shall tread upon scorpions. We shall trample the serpent underfoot because Jesus prepares our path. Jesus walks within us. He is the breath of the spirit that inspires us from creation to redemption to holification, sanctification to the rest of forever. We desire that now. We feed that now. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He he likes you. And he's preparing for you a city. That was Sarah's promise. Remember now, by faith, a city comes through the mother who learns to love motherhood more than anything else. But now we have more Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. James tells us God tests no one. Of course, we're dealing with Hebrew and Greek and English altogether. Let's just make it easy. Um, Temptations happen when our own sinful corruption comes face to face with whatever God has said good is. And we come up with bad ideas. And then sin is when we speak or do those bad ideas against the good. And God allows that to happen. And he calls it this word that's in both Greek and Hebrew, different words, same idea, which can be translated as test, can be translated as tempt. But I really prefer uh, the the good blacksmithing term, tempered. Because when you melt steel and iron and pound it with a hammer and fire, you're trying to get the dross out. You're trying to get what is good to remain. So you are testing it. And the dross doesn't pass the test, but the sword always passes the test. Well, I mean, if you got good metal, which you do because you're good seed, Jesus planted you, okay? So the sword always passes the test. Huh? And so you're testing it. Are you tempting the sword? Not really. That's more of a, really a, a Lutheran psychobabble thing we should probably deal with a little bit at some point. Um, but you are tempering the sword for sure. And you could say you're tempting it to break. I suppose, again, Lutheran psychobabble. Um, you're, you're tempering the sword. God tempered Abraham. He put him in the fire and he smacked him with a hammer. So, 100 years now, you've been waiting. You did all the wrong stuff. Gave your wife to two guys, fled from the land, all this and on and on. And now, concubine with another son who's a brute of a man. is going to cause all kinds of problems in his life. And and yet here you are. I, I did it. I gave you the boy. Go kill him for me, okay? This, this is such a stunning turn of events in the story that the modern church, and by that I mean people who have lots of money and big institutions and say, we're the Christian church, we make pastors. Here, have you met Barb? She's a man. <laughs> yeah, The same group that's doing that for a hundred years has been saying things like the story of the sacrifice of Isaac is barbaric and shows how the Old Testament God is not the same as the New Testament God and Jesus is not truly then the fulfillment of religion, but one more story of people changing stories as we move towards something better, which of course the Enlightenment, which is Gnostic trust in the power of man's stupid head, had become the religion and still is to this day right now. So in that, Seeing that faith and trust in Jesus has been replaced with knowledge, you know, God is testing us against those kinds of heresies where someone would come along and read this story in the Bible. God tested Abraham, kill your son Isaac. And they say, that's a barbaric God. That's an evil God. That's not the God of love like Jesus. 
what's the definition of love then, you know? But again, the point is, we've had churches with big colleges and massive influence on media and, and politics saying that for 100 years. Um, what we want to believe is the exact opposite of this, right? Uh, that Abraham offering up his son Isaac is the primary Genesis picture of the death of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, crowned with thorns on a mountain as an atonement for the natural-born son who wasn't good enough, and yet nonetheless was all brought there and made by God to be saved so he could be part of your salvation, you know, Isaac being a patriarch and all this. It's not a barbaric story. It's a story about the extent to which a father's love, when he loves his son, will go to save his son. And that includes trusting in God saying, kill your son. Because if killing my son means that God will raise him from the dead in this life, that means that Genesis 3 promise is fulfilled. Hey, uh, no, not fulfilled, but I see the promise in you, Abraham. Go home, here's the ram. Uh, uh, more of that just from the text. I kind of got ahead of myself there, I think. Um, he offers up Isaac, uh, who had received the promises uh, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back, right? So the resurrection of Jesus is foreshadowed there. And you see the next verse, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob. The chapter goes on. I encourage you to consider reading that entire chapter uh, this week as a continuation of your own devotion. It'll call to mind all sorts of stories from the Old Testament, including some you might not know. And uh, we may come back and pick at this uh, over the next few years to, to pick stuff up. But to bring it home uh, with just a few moments more, uh, salvation, which is prosperity, which is to be content right now, is by grace, which means there's nothing you can do. It's all already done, in fact through trust, which you have, because that's the promise. And that can never be taken from you. There are other promises tied to it that eventually will come out of you, things like character and endurance, yeah, uh, conviction that can't stay silent, the fire in your bones. If that's not you today, so what? Who you are today is who you are prepared to be for such a time as this. And that's a complex story with many different walks and many different lives. And who knows where you all wandered the last 25 days. And my steps went deep and far, and I know you were not unbusy. Yeah. But here we all have wandered, not so lost, been found back together with a certainty, a rock that is higher than any of us, who shall never pass away, who though we come and go has promised that the people who trust in him will see themselves and their descendants on the last day. And just to prove the point, he makes sure today that we don't forget it when he takes himself from heaven, joins, becomes, is bread and wine and enters your mouth orally to go into your body physically to inspire you spiritually today. In the name of Jesus. Amen.